Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Keywoods 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory, all with the Sunbury Motors guarantee, which is so important, and a fabulous service department to back it all up. In fact, they need more technicians getting so much business, and they do such great work. People depend on them. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Roots 11 and 15, almost Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Our play-by-play call of the day, while the Celtics were winning on the road against the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the Sixers beat the Sacramento Kings. Seconds. Two seconds. James at the buzzer. Another triple. Kate Scott's great, by the way. But, like, you couldn't have, like, like a Seattle Kraken goal or something? You couldn't have found that? I mean, they did they score the... 80 in the first half. That was the whole point of it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. They beat the Sacramento Kings. Okay. I know. Two 80 in the first half our... is 80 in the first half. That's all. Two-thirds of our audience didn't know Sacramento had a team. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> All right. Let's preview the Rose Bowl. And let's bring in, uh, I, mean, what, I mean, what's next? I mean, I've, I already had to explain to you who Sa- Sandy Koufax is. Now, I mean, now i got to explain to you the, the Sacramento Kings? No, senor! No, senor! No, senor! Do you know what? Okay. So Sandy Koufax signs with the Dodgers. Incredible. At the same time that the Sacramento Kings were where? In the in the fifties. The Rochester Royals. Rochester, New York. Then they became the Cincinnati Royals, the Kansas City Omaha Kings, and now the Sacramento Kings. Let's bring in Jackie M. Sir, welcome. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. And I also had some uh, I learned some trivia on baseball. <laughs> Nobody knows if it's ever right, Jack. I just make it up as I go. You and nobody knows that better, better than you do. So. And I was I was a big Sandy Koufax fan as oh. a young kid growing up, and uh, you were so accurate about the fact how wild he was, and then all of a sudden he got control, and nobody could uh, nobody could hit him. Yep, four no hitters in a perfect game. Something else. I mean, his last season he won twenty seven. Uh, Jack, so I want to get to this football team, and I want to get to, to the defensive part first. Early in the season, Manny Diaz would go with seven defensive backs, and you and I you know, knew why. He looked out. That's the best personnel he had. And then Abdul Carter emerged. What did Carter's presence and his style of play mean to how Penn State played defense? Well, I, I think you're exactly right about the fact. I think Manny Diaz, when I talked to him on the uh, practice field before the season started, he goes, 
somehow, some way, I've got to get Abdul Carter on the field. He is such a great athlete. He can make so many plays. He's so gifted out there, and he needs he needs the playing time. It, you know, Steve, it gave us a little bit more of a physical presence in in that defense because, I mean, the, the young man can run a four three forty, and but also he can hit, he can tackle going downhill when those defensive linemen give him a good angle and good gap to make a play on the running back. So. It made a physical presence for our defense. You know, at times, we've gone to seven defensive backs because of fact of the passing game. But uh, uh, you need that physical presence, especially in the Big Ten when you're playing against teams that like to run the football. You got to make sure that you got guys back there who are who can make plays against the running game. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking back. He only played the one play on defense against Purdue, and he got called for the penalty. I was thinking back, that really was preview of coming attractions because of how he closed on that play. I think it should have been a tip-off to everybody. This guy this guy has the speed to play. Yeah, and early in the year, quarterbacks were running, you know, Auburn, they were able to run the quarterbacks running the football against us at times when, and coming out of the pocket. But when Abdul Carter ended up being sometimes a spy on the quarterback as well, you're right. The closing speed for a linebacker, how you go from zero and ten, and how fast you are in ten yards or fifteen yards, is so important for a linebacker. And, and at times when the quarterback was coming out of the pocket, I mean, he looked like he was going to be open to go and run the football for positive yards downfield. And Carter just closes with that speed he has, and all, and just runs down the quarterback and and takes away an angle where a quarterback thought he may make some positive yards. Uh, in so many different ways, as Carter got more experience, it made that defense, as you saw, get better and better as year went on. What did the versatility of Jair Brown mean to Manny Diaz as a safety? Well, there's so many things that, that Jair Brown can do, and, and number one, confuse a quarterback. Uh, at times, he's lined up at the line of scrimmage. And, and then he'll bail out and be a safety. At times, on, on seven defensive backs, he plays like an uh, outside linebacker and just, on his own, and just breaks on a football and got one of his inter- one of his three interceptions that way. You have to be account for him. And when he is playing at the safety position, he reads so well that he's up there making a play on the, against the running game when he's unaccounted for with the blocking scheme. Um, you know, a lot of people don't feel that safety will be in the in that hole to make the play. Hold that to a a very short game. He is he is just the last two years, Stephen. You, you, we watched him up close and personal, and how much he has improved every year, every game. And when you need a big play in a football game late in the fourth quarter, I mean, he normally is the guy who makes it. Joey Porter Jr. showed everybody in the opening game what kind of player he is, and uh, he's being projected obviously as a first round pick, and he's received All America accolades. He will not be playing in the Rose Bowl. But, Jack, what about the guy on the other side? Because when you have a guy on one side that's so productive, they don't want to go over there. So they kept going over to Kale and King's side. What were quarterbacks and offensive coordinators facing when they went to that side? Well, number one, I mean, Kale and King, if you talked to him, he just enjoyed the challenge. He knew that was going to happen, no question about it, when people were going to end up throwing the football. He played with better technique on either bump and run coverage, getting his hands on the wide receiver, you know, forcing him to the outside, turning with him, running downfield, but also he, he, he avoided a lot of the pass interference calls by being able to be in good position, to look back for the football as well. And so many times as a color analyst watching him going, like, that is like a technique for a clinic 
on how to play corner bump and run coverage. And he did it time and time again when he knew that he was going to get a lot of activity out there being on the opposite side of Porter. But he was just outstanding all year. And especially when Porter ended up not playing the last couple of games a little bit in the, in the Michigan State game. Uh, King, Kalen King was just, he was so consistent all year long in making big plays against all the wide receivers. We, uh, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the secondary, and of course, Carter and Jacobs at linebacker. Penn State ended up getting so many tackles for losses the final month of the season. And for the year, they had 16 different guys end up with a sack this year. So there wasn't one dominant guy that had. 10, 11, 12 sacks in the season. What did you think of the development of the defensive front as time went? Well, I, I think, the, especially on the defensive end side, and, and I'll mention two guys, it's not the end, but uh, uh, P.J. coming back from that injury in the second half of the year really came on. And yeah. again, another played so well at the end of the, se- end of the season. But you had Adisa uh, Isaac on the outside who, who had another injury, the Achilles injury, but his quickness coming off the edge, you know, Chop Robinson on the other side, Tar Burton being solid all year long. You know, our team speed on defense, Steve, I think has just gotten better and better. And you saw those guys, especially Isaac in the last half of the year, just running down quarterbacks, forcing them out of the pocket, and, and the quarterbacks not being able to run downfield. You know, like I said, early in the year, especially like Auburn in the early in the year, we had some quarterbacks making positive plays against us you know, getting outside the pocket. But the last half of the year where all these guys were pretty healthy up front and with the addition of Carter, obviously, those quarterbacks were not making those those gash yards running the football out of the pocket. One other element that I'll flip to the offense, and this is a defense that we're, for the most part, Jack, guys are playing, I don't know, max of 40 to 55 plays a game because of the depth. So let's get back to that speed point that you made. In November, was that speed showcased in part because the players were fresher in November than they may have been in the past? Uh, without a doubt. Manny Diaz is a, a defensive coordinator who's going to play a lot of quality players if you're good enough to play. And he's not going to play you in the fourth quarter. He's going to play you in that middle of the first quarter, second quarter. He'll play you in situations where the game is on the line. That's where you actually, you know, not only for the – for the endurance of players in the fourth quarter, but also, you know, you're gaining experience when you have to make a play when the game is, you know, tied or you may be behind by a touchdown or so where you've got to be consistent, disciplined. And I think, Steve, I think our defense learned a lot in that loss against Michigan. I think the fact that you do not take chances, you do your job and expect your, your, other, your teammate to do his job in his gap, do what you're supposed to do, I think we learned a lot because of those gash running plays that Michigan had against us, especially in that second half of the game. There's one more game to go, obviously. Jack, in the preseason, you and I thought the offensive line had a chance to be good, but at the same time, we wanted to see it in practical application. There were a lot of moving parts as the season went because of the injuries. In the end, how well did that offensive line play? Oh, the offensive line, I think, was uh, the, the, the key. You know, everybody will point in to marquee players like the running backs, and no, no question they were outstanding all year. But the offensive line, not only the running game, but for protection for Clifford as well, we end up getting more of those second and four and five situations this year. Also, 
we were so much better on short yardage on third and short or fourth and short when we went for it as well. And I also on the goal line, I think uh, Mike Yurcich has got to get a lot of credit for the formations and everything he had in that red zone area yeah. that confused a lot of people as well. But our offensive line, I think if he has to look at you, I think we expected the defense to play well. I think we expected the running backs because of their talent to be outstanding this year. You know, the question mark was the, uh, the offensive line. And I, I also lump in the tight ends here on this blocking as well. Yeah. But the offensive line blocking for the running game was the key this year why I think Penn State ended up 10-2. and two. And that was going to be my next uh, point, and that was on the tight ends because Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. Jack, uh, what kind of, quote, weapons are they in this offense, A, when they have the ball, but also what kind of weapons are they in the offense when they don't have the ball? Well, number one, I mean, a, a lot of the key blocks on Singleton and Allen's runs, yeah. a lot of has been a lead block, like a guard coming up in the, into the hole to lead that uh, for your for your running back, and that was strange a lot of times. And and he especially downfield when he locked on to somebody, either linebacker, sometimes even a safety as well. He didn't lose his feet. He continued to hit, drive through and and seal off the outside, and 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 the running back, whether it's Singleton or Allen, could break off. Normally, would break off of that block to make their runs and their quality runs downfield. But the, you know and Combined the fact of when we we can, they're so versatile because we will spread them out and put those tight ends on the outside. We did that against Michigan State. And they they got confused on what we were trying to do a couple of times, and they're able to run the passing game as well. So we don't have to substitute people out there. We can sometimes keep those two or eight, sometimes three tight ends in the game and run our passing game as well. Keandre Lambert-Smith, the last couple of games, broke out, made some plays. What can it mean moving forward if he can do that and be a receiver that can take the top off? Well, I think, number one, that is great for his confidence going forward and going into the into the Rose Bowl game as well because we were looking for that one guy who could, in fact, you know, run that deep post, run that takeoff along the sideline and really stretch the secondary, and then you have those intermediate routes underneath. We really didn't have that guy, where, or we were looking for that guy. All of a sudden, with those wideouts, make a couple of catches, make a couple of tough catches. And he made some this year, a couple of high balls from Clifford in the last game. He ended up going up, get, getting at the high point, bringing the football in with, with his hands, catching the ball, not dropping anything in, during the course of a football game. Also, in those wide receiver screens. So, all of those. But the fact that he has that, you know, as you say, top end speed that can make sure the secondary has got to honor that it opens up so many more things and I think for our pass game to get better this year. All right, so now we do get to the freshman running backs. Um, in the spring, you and I looked at them and you know, the, you know, both of us kept saying like Allen and Singleton together because we kept looking at it over and over again seeing those two. Now we've actually seen it play out. And they were separated, Jack, by only seven carries, so everything happened organically. What did we see performance-wise? And also, what did we see from, from two guys having almost split carries? Well, I, I think number one, for, for the two guys, and I think so many people were talking when the recruiting process was going on, well, if you have Singleton, why is Allen coming to Penn State as well? What's going to happen? One of those guys are going to be on the bench. But I think this is good for both of these football players. I mean, no question, outstanding talent as we, as we saw it you know, as they came into Penn State. 
But the idea of splitting time, getting on over 1,800 yards in our, in our rushing game from these two guys, I mean, it, it, it had the balance of what Penn State needed for our offense to really take, take control and getting that kind of, kind of attitude from our running game. But uh, those two guys, it, it just, they, they feed off of each other. There's a competition, but it's a friendly competition. You see the one always, if you've got one guy makes a great run, the other guy's all down on the sideline. He's the first one to congratulate him as well. These are two freshmen, two mature young men who are a big part of our, our offense. And uh, I think looking for the future of a Penn State in, in the running game, and it, it is nothing but the arrow pointing up. See, and that's what's interesting to me, Jack, is it's not like somebody was sitting there and counting carries. There, you know, one guy's in one time, another one in. Okay, one's having a better day, so he plays a little bit more. And they ended up be only seven carries apart. I thought that was remarkable. Yeah, it, 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 Steve, you're exactly right. And when you talk to the coaches, I mean, they're, a, they're different. Singleton is more that the explosive, the 50-, 60-yard run all of a sudden as he breaks into secondary. You know, a, you know, Allen is a guy who – I mean, he finds a soft spot on on a defense, and when you think he's got a, like two or three yards, it ends up being five and six yards. Very strong. You saw him on the goal line in their formation, that full house backfield where Allen carries football, and a couple of times on on goal line on third or fourth down, he broke an arm tackle to get the ball into the end zone. So they've got a different style, but uh, you're right; it just kind of you know, not, nobody's counting uh, carries on the sideline throughout the course of the year, but it, it just kind of evolved like that. And like I said, both guys is, is is such a great thing to see friendly competition, which can only make both of those guys better next year. So two part on the quarterback, Sean Clifford ended up sixty four percent and twenty two touchdowns, seven interceptions, three to one. And of course, we got a a lot of long looks at Drew Aller. How'd you feel about the quarterback play and also what the future can be a quarterback? Well, I think what we got out of Clifford, I think what we expected. I mean, a guy who doesn't care about getting 350 yards passing. If you if run the ball for 200, he gets 150 yards or 175 yards passing. He doesn't care. Off the play action, and, and that's where he made a lot of his big plays in the passing game. Uh, got the offensive line in, in, the, in the protection that he needed to slide it when they had to make the right decisions back there and I think Drew Allard learns from that it's it's almost watching him out there and you're like an intern and watching the quarterback out there make all those kind of calls that Drew Allard is going to have to be making next year so I think exactly what we, I think we expected maybe a couple of more turnovers from from uh, uh, Clifford especially in the Ohio State game but for the most part I think it, Every department of our football team this year was better, including a quarterback. And finally, about Utah. Uh, every time I watch a tape of them, I feel like I'm watching, in some ways, a traditional Big Ten team playing in the Pac-12. What's your thought in looking at Utah? I am I am really impressed with Utah. I yeah. mean, this is going to be a tough football game out there. I mean, they run the football effectively for about 220 yards, and they throw the ball for 250. That's the kind of balance you want in your offense so and they're outstanding on defense it and the, the thing that jumped out at me when they were down 10 nothing i think 17 to 3 against southern cal they never panicked on defense you know they rushed three dropped eight in coverage came with a blitz you know continued to do that throughout the course of the game and how they took control of that football game as the game went on 
you know, a lot of times you're down early in the game like that. You start guessing. You you lose discipline. This is a very tough, mature football team, and uh, Penn State's going to have to play their best game to beat this beat yeah, this team. I agree with that. You know, you will have to play your best game to win, to win this game because Utah's that good. Jack, always a pleasure. Appreciate everything as always, my friend. You are welcome, Steve. Take care. We will see you soon. <laughs> okay. Jack Ham. All right. I, that gives you a, really a full rundown on the football team right there. I mean, stem to stern. Um, it's I, I cannot begin to tell you on an every week basis what it means to work with him. And it means more to me now than even when we started, and it meant a lot to me when we started. It's amazing. You always want to work with people who make you better. Whatever you think of me, pro or con, I'm way better because I work with him. We'll come back with more in a moment here on 1070 WKOK. Hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6. 30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the mm. Mm. out of auto repair. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Roots 11 and 15, Elmo's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai. Best in new inventory, all with great warranties. That warranty means a lot. And maybe the budget is screaming at you saying, I love the warranty, but I need pre-owned because of the budget. Well, you want to go someplace that has the Sunbury Motors guarantee. It means everything. And a fabulous service department. They can do anything. Stem to stern. Great technicians for the life of your vehicle. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf Online, sunburymotors.com. It's decision day in California. Uh, getting underway about 50 minutes from now. It's the California Board of Regents meeting about UCLA. With that, we bring in our good friend Tony Knopp from the coast. Happy holidays to you. Great to have you with us. I am good. We're getting the cold weather out of the way here before you guys come out here in a few weeks. Good, because <laughs> the last time yeah. I did a game out there, it was it was in the low 50s. Oh, 34 today, which for us is unheard of. Okay, well, just so you know, it was 18 here. Nope, no, I'm aware. Okay, (laughs) yes. I just want to make sure you know. All right. It's a big decision day 
with the California Board of Regents and UCLA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tony, this is something where, for those of us who don't live there, for those of us who are in the other 49 states, why does the California Board of Regents have power over where somebody plays football and basketball? It's, it's a, to keep it as layman's turn as possible. UCLA and Cal Berkeley are tied together when it comes to revenues and when it comes to how they're supported by the state. And when it was announced that UCLA was going to go to the Big Ten, um, you know, we talked about it on this show. We said, you know, hey, that, that sounds nice and it's probably still going to happen, but they can't just up and do it without approval from the Board of Regents. Now, there's a similar, not the same, but similar dynamic that they're going to be watching in the state of Washington and in the state of Oregon um, with Oregon State and Oregon and with UW and Washington State. And so what the conversation is with the Board of Regents today is they're they're looking at a couple of outcomes. They're looking at the possibility of, I I personally don't know if them just leaving is going to happen. I think what's most likely is they're going to leave and they're going to have to compensate Berkeley for it. Um, And then there's always the, you know, the wild card of maybe they try to block it and impose a tax of some kind or or something. But I think the Board of Regents does understand it. For the the layman outside of the state, um, I'll, I'll keep this as, diplomatic as I can. The Pac-12 for so many years was so poorly led that the schools and the economic prosperity of the schools, especially on the sports side, has been woeful at best. And UCLA has a $103 million deficit. Um, they were already running a huge deficit before Under Armour pulled out of their deal. Uh, and, and that just made it a lot worse. So what's happening right now is this, this really difficult discussion at the regents level, which is I mean, look, if we force UCLA to stay here, they're going to have to cut a lot of sports. And they're going to have to cut a lot of sports that UCLA has historically been dominant at. You know, yeah. they, they win a lot of Olympic sports. Uh, and they just won a women's, gold, or a women's um, national championship in soccer. But if they leave Berkeley, it's essentially a death knell for the for-profit sports at Berkeley, which have been hurting for a long time. Sorry to babble, but that's kind of the, the overview of what they're trying to decide. All right, so when we, whenever we see the grant of rights, it's the grant of media rights, mm-hmm. all right? And that will organically run out for UCLA. I believe the contract runs out June 30, 2024, but the grant of rights runs out August 1, 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, if the grant of rights runs out there, what gives Cal... Yeah, and Cal's not asking this, but what gives Cal the rights to have a part of UCLA's media rights? I think it's more an issue of when the taxpayer dollars are funding some of the facilities, even though it's not on a scale that you would anticipate. It's something that the that the legislature and especially some politicians out here, um, specifically Gavin Newsom, has kind of latched onto. They see this as a as a they see this on, on a, as a hill for them to stand on to look out for the little guy. Okay. And so, you know, what's so interesting about this is just how disingenuous every party has been that's involved, right? <laughs> I'm, <It's>, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you know, George Klyapkov finally comes out and says, oh, we didn't negotiate our our TV deals yet, and we're holding off to see what happens with UCLA, right? And And it's because he knows that if UCLA leaves and USC leaves, there's still that risk of Oregon State 
and Oregon separating, Oregon going somewhere to a bigger conference, Oregon State doing what they want to do in most sports outside of baseball and kind of move down in profile. And the same thing happens with UW and Washington State. Meanwhile, while you negotiate with Fox, you can't upset them too much, or do they empower the Big 12 to come and take those schools and and essentially send the Pac-12 into nowhere? So it's one of those really interesting things where as a sports fan watching a football game, you don't understand how much of the future of competitive balance, especially for UCLA, is in these minute, what seemingly minute political decisions, like what we're seeing today with the Board of Regents. Um, what's really interesting about it is the, the, the public fervor around it is actually the other way. UCLA alumni, you know, and I'm assuming that UCLA alumni don't understand what the deficit is, uh, or they would have to come up with a way to raise $103 million annually to make up for that deficit. They're, they're very much adamantly against UCLA making this move. Right. Whereas USC's fans and alumni are, are very vociferously for the move. Well, if uh, UCLA, with all due respect, had USC's president, they would have told them to pound sand and move on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean that, no, that's the way she is. I mean, yep. no getting yep. around it. I mean, Edward Hale wrote a, a short story back in the 1800s, The Man Without a Country. I feel like that's the story of UCLA right now, uh, because right now they, they are without a country. But, they, Tony, they've been giving away tens of thousands of tickets. Nobody goes. Right. I mean, ten, Nobody goes, and they're never going to get to go. Right. I mean, UCLA I mean, is a perfect example yeah. of the state of California essentially trying to, I mean— it's a gross generalization, but it's true. Um, the state of California and the taxpayers in California want nothing to do with sports. Right. Right. It's been that way for quite a long time. And so people outside of California may not understand that whenever we put ballot measures up to build stadiums, they fail. Right. Uh, the San Francisco Giants almost moved right. to Tampa Bay in right. 1993 because they couldn't get a stadium pass. And then finally, they got Measure A through, but they essentially publicly had to privately right. finance the stadium. Well, look so at the Chargers. Privately financed. Look at the yeah, Chargers. So they couldn't get anything right. done. And, and the Chargers, you know, San Diego is a lot more red than most of the state of California, yeah. and they couldn't get it through there. Nope. Uh, and, and for those listening, because San Diego is um, it's a military hub. There are yep. a number of military bases there, so it's a very staunch yes. military city. And so when you look at it, like Stanford, for example, took the, um, took the attendance number at Stanford Stadium from 85,000 to 30, and they still can't right. sell it out. And right. they've... They've basically said when David Shaw left, you know, we're not going to support these sports anymore. We don't care. We're going to we're going to support some of the Olympic sports, but this is an academic institution. We don't care about football. And Cal has said the same thing, which is why it's disingenuous for Cal to say, "Well, we want we'd like to receive a tax if UCLA leaves." It's like, well, but you're not trying, and you're openly not trying to compete in the new era of college sports. So, yeah, it's just interesting to watch because you know where you see places in the South in Big Ten country where they have municipal support to build stadiums, to support the university, to build up these large economies that are around it, you've had these, these, these um, local legislatures here who are just completely the opposite. They will never let UCLA build a stadium on campus. Right. Never. Uh, and, and all and, they would need is a 35,000-person stadium. And right. for those people listening in Pennsylvania who aren't aware, if you would, and this would be, I mean, it's going to blow their minds if they haven't been out here, and they will be for the Rose Bowl soon. If you go to UCLA and you're a student, a freshman student, likely without a car, and you want to go to a UCLA football game on a Saturday afternoon, 27 miles, you you are likely sitting in an hour and 10 minutes of traffic to get there. 
And look, the, and look, the sure. property, the property around there. You can't even go off campus. Not a lot of room to build a stadium there to begin with. The property off campus is so expensive. There's no way you can get it. But what people don't seem to realize is UCLA has been balancing their athletic department budget by borrowing from the school. Yeah, isn't it a plus that they can be autonomous and get a, get a big TV contract and and not borrow from the school and from the state ta- from the state taxpayers anymore? It would seem like that would be, like we talked about a second ago, that this is disingenuous, right? Right. That seems like the easiest way to do it, but then they leave the Pac-12, and then the Pac-12's in trouble, and then, you know, it's just, everybody's looking out for themselves in this one. And what's what's essentially happened is you have this brand, and we talked about this with Tennessee a couple years ago, got a great year this year and kind of bounced back. You have this brand with UCLA who hasn't been relevant in football nationally since probably the Edger and James years. Right, mm-hmm. of the early 2000s when they had Cade McNown and those guys. Um, the basketball program, which was once a blue blood, you know, they do well now, but if you saw the economic support they get when you compare them to North Carolina, Kentucky, and the like, right. it's paltry. Right. Right. And so it's just been horribly mismanaged for a very long time. And now we're standing on the fringe of, you know, a possible decision where UCLA could become even more. Uh, even less relevant. Now, I, you and I both know they're going to end up in the Big Ten. They have to. Sure. Financially, they have to. Right. It's a $103 billion deficit year right. over year. They have to go. Right. Right. So we'll see what they end up doing, yeah. whether it's going to yeah. be how much money they're going to have to pay in ransom yeah. to the state of California in order to do this. And and quite honestly, for, for those who are, and not to be political, not a political guy, but for those who are listening to this and saying, how can the state of California possibly tax somebody for leaving? Uh, we're already voting on that in the legislature. Yeah. Uh, it's bet up regularly that if you move out of the state of California, they can collect taxes from you for the next two years. Yeah. All right. So the college football playoffs going to go to twelve. I know we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. and 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 that the last two years of the contract with twelve will be ESPN exclusivity because they have the contract. But then it opens up. Tony, when it opens up, we expect multiple media partners. Is it possible to you that 12 becomes 16 because you need the inventory with multiple media partners? I think it's possible that 12 becomes 16. I think it's possible that eventually the college football playoff becomes the NCAA. And it goes well It goes well beyond 16. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at what happened with the, the rights for – I mean, there's a couple of different ways we can look at this um, predicated upon what's happened with rights on, on, on different places. And a lot of times we look at North American media rights. But North American media rights – are generally a little bit different than the rest. So, for example, you know, NFL controls their media rights across the board, where the where the Major League Baseball has them in you know different regions. Currently, baseball is doing everything they can to try to consolidate those rights, um, which could mean bankruptcy for Sinclair. Uh, for those who don't That's know who right. Sinclair is, Sinclair owns Bally Sports. Bally Sports used to be Fox Sports. They are the ones who negotiate all of those regional sports network deals. So they go to the Milwaukee. Um, brewers and say we want to carry your games and they, they do a deal. And those things have been individual and the teams have had the rights to do those. Sinclair is in trouble. There's rumors that they are possibly going to you know, go into bankruptcy and what could start that will be the Minnesota Twins deal that's coming up in a couple of months. If that happens, Manfred is going to try to consolidate his TV rights, which is what the NFL has done. If he can do that, then you can start to look at things like what we see with the English Premier League where they have four partners right. currently. So much so that people are looking to buy Manchester United, and they can't because of their media rights that they have, right? Amazon has media rights for the EPL, so they can't turn around and buy Manchester United, who's asking for $8 billion for the team right now. So 
the college football playoff is looking at this and saying, this is the Premier League. We are about to form the Premier League. And it's not a lot different than what happened when the English Premier League got together and essentially broke away from the FA, which was the federation in uh, England up until 1994. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, I think what you're saying is going to 16. I think people need to prepare for the fact that the college football playoff is going to be the overarching league in the next 10 years. Yeah, because, I mean, people, when you look at FCS, they have 24 teams in that playoff. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. so I mean, and that's been expanded over the years to get the t- to twenty four. Uh, how important? And I think I think it's interesting, and you know the players very well, so yeah. you understand this. And, and I played college sports. Now, I played a college sport that doesn't pay a lot of money. <laughs> I played basketball for one day, and then I focused on a different one. <laughs> but there's this, this fundamental philo- philosophical argument that if you move to the college football playoff with sixteen teams or twenty four teams, you're no longer a student athlete. And my counter would be. That's not true, because there is a full industrial complex that is around these sports, and a lot of these athletes who go and play football or soccer or field hockey or baseball or whatever else make a living playing those sports after they leave college. How is that any different than learning to be an archaeologist? Right. No, I mean, so, that's absolutely right. You're right. Exactly. I mean, it's this is your proving ground to get yourself someplace. If you're a basketball player, you're, it could be a proving ground that can get you to Europe to play right. professionally. You can go to Europe and play professionally. You can be a coach or a trainer here. You can start a club program. You get, there's, there is vocation that comes after this. And that goes back to, it segues to what we were talking about with UC Regents. There's this discussion in California that sports are not academics. Therefore, we shouldn't be involved in them. Whereas my counter argument would be, people make money playing sports and coaching sports and covering sports and the like and the like and the like. How is that any different than learning how to be an electrical engineer? Right which you offer and you pour money into your engineering program, especially as it can make money with, you know, different kinds of donations and the like. So that's at the core of the college football playoff argument, right? Is, oh, well, you're creating a minor league, so to speak. What's the problem with that? That's what I don't understand. Yeah. And I know some people said that with the expanded college football playoff, it'll really hurt the hurt quote bowls. Tony, you and I both know ESPN owns 17 of these bowl games. They <laughs> yeah. own 17. All right? Yeah. So you take out the college football playoff, you know, the New Year's Six. Okay, we're down to 30, uh, 35. Um, Fox has won the Holiday Bowl. CBS has the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Now we're down to 33. So ESPN owns more than half of the other ones. This is brilliant programming for them. They aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And... Even <laughs> the funny thing is, sometimes people will laugh when they turn on the Bahamas Bowl and there's like 28 people in the yeah, game, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you doing this, right? Right. But then you look at the ratings, and it's it's outdrawing a very large percentage of what what it's competing against. No question, there will right? only it's be two. There'll only be two bowl games, probably, and maybe even just one that has fewer than a million, and it's because yeah. of. The time frame, it's at nine times out of ten. Right. Fox, go ahead, Tony. Oh, no, I'm saying that advertisers can't eat it up enough. Right. Gambling is becoming a part of it. It's one of the last bastions of, I mean, that's what we're looking at right now when you're talking about the media business. Like, it's changing. You're not, people are out there saying, you don't rent media rights anymore. You buy them. Right? If you can own it, that's where we want to get to. And you see what happens with ESPN. You know, ESPN essentially helps create the MLS. For 24 years. No doubt. See you later. We're with Apple now. Yeah. Right? And so that's how people are looking at this going forward. CFP is saying, we need to own this. 
ESPN, as you pointed out, they know exactly what they're doing. We need to own this, right? right? Because then it grows and builds, and it's one of the last bastions of programming that people are continuing to, to, to tune into, and it's not on demand. They're doing it live. Right. And I just did the uh, Charleston Shriners Classic uh, last month down in Charleston, South Carolina. ESPN owns the tournament. Penn State's going to go to Orlando next year. ESPN owns the tournament. Right? Yeah. So they're, they're, and the reason they're doing it is they're creating programming for themselves, and that's the job of a network, and that's, you know, that's what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And, and you know, I always feel bad because I want to come on like everybody else and talk about how fun it is to follow the sport. But yeah, the I know. Time, like, yeah, you and me but both. But you see what's so important about this. Is, yeah. is, this is why Sean Clifford's in his 19th year at quarterback. This is why, <laughs> right? Like, these things are happening because there's a business behind it. And that business behind it is predicated upon profit, yeah. right? And so you see all these things tugging and pulling. And the problem is the CFP has essentially created this incredible league where they own the rights and they're saying, this is the where this is going. And for whatever reason, the California municipalities are saying, no, we don't want to do this, which is really interesting because I'm, I'm super curious to see what happens with Oregon and Washington. Yeah, They well, cannot stay if those two leave. Oh, well, or, and remember, Oregon and Washington have the same, the same states, problem. I believe, have the same border regions situation as, as California does, right? And nobody's taken Oregon State. And the, and the difference is, what's interesting about all of this is some people would come back and say, why doesn't Berkeley go with them, right? Why doesn't the Big Ten just take Berkeley? No. Nobody wants Or First of all, they don't want them. And secondly, Berkeley doesn't want to go. Berkeley doesn't care, right? right? Oregon State wants to play in the Mountain West. Yeah. You know, Washington State probably wants to leave for the Mountain West. Yeah. They don't want to stay in the Pac-10, Pac-12. Yeah. Pac-6, who knows what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, MLS, by the way, did come up with a secondary contract, and that was with Fox. And mm-hmm. the last time we were on, we talked about Apple 10 years. Why didn't you wait till the World Cup? This one does take you to the World Cup in 26. Yeah. So at least there's some over-the-air linear intelligence <laughs> for the MLS to take advantage of the 26 World Cup in the United States. Exactly. And there's always a question about the non-exclusive rights and how that was going to play into what they were negotiating. Right. And now you're kind of seeing the playbook. Right. And, you know, it's a tough spot for ESPN because ESPN does support the league as it grows. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a strong and healthy league now, but you and I were around in 1994. We were around as as it launched and they were just begging anybody to go. Right. And, you know, there was no loyalty. Uh, when, when the time came for more money, right? They put a gun in their mouth and said, hey, this is what Apple's bidding. And, and listen, the more Apple and Google and Amazon come to play in that, in, in that world, they have bottomless pockets. Yeah, they do indeed. Uh, one final question. When we look at all these contracts, we see what they've done with the Premier League. Is that in some ways a model that, that if you were a media watcher in this country you and, and somebody who's a corporate watcher in this country, that you should watch closely yeah. how the Premier League goes about its media and corporate business? It, it, it's interesting, the Premier League, as opposed to La Liga and Syria. I mean, you see teams like FC Barcelona who had to sell the private equity and take large debt chunks to stay afloat, right? This is an iconic club that's losing $400 million a year. What the Premier League has done so well is they're kind of like, they're almost like a republic, 
like like we are a republic of 50 states like mm-hmm. there is control there are controls that are controlling the teams that are together but in the end there's still individualism within the clubs and they've they've just threaded that needle i don't think all of it was intentional to be honest but they've created this environment where they have just commercialized the clubs and turned them into these worldwide products i mean for those who don't pay that much attention and most don't city football group has been buying teams around the around the, the globe yes, for years now they just yep. bought three more in the last four months they know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. and this just becomes this large massive you know organization that has global reach that can negotiate with the premier league while they're staying there and the, and the key to that is the premier league because it's a unity of the clubs that are in it can't have a gun held in its mouth right right that's that's the difference so exactly what you pointed out with espn with the bulls Right, it's not going to happen. So everybody should be paying attention to what's happened there versus like what's happened with the Bundesliga, which right. in the '90s was as big a league as the Premier League, and no it's nowhere close now. Right? Yeah, it's ama- It's amazing. I mean, the, again, the close. business model of the Premier League and the media model of the Premier League is stunning. How good it is! So, oh. uh, you could ask a layman who kind of knows soccer. Name ten Premier League teams. And they could do it. Yes, right, fairly easily. No question. Or they would say, if I can name ten, they say, yes, I've heard of those teams. If I named the top ten Bundesliga teams, most Could, people wouldn't know no. the bottom seven. Could they, know. You know, they'd maybe know Bayern Munich, maybe Borussia Dortmund, and that's about it. Look, right? because the Premier League has done a great job of establishing deep-seated brands that people understand, mm-hmm. and they did it together, like the CFP is looking to do. Yes. Exactly, exactly right. what they did. What yeah. they did in 1994 was say, this FA is not working for us anymore. We're going to put together a super league. We're going to take the top clubs. We're going to bring them together. Everybody else can stay involved, but we're, it's not going to be an even cut anymore. It's exactly what the Big Ten and the SEC are doing. Yeah. They're looking at us and saying, listen, I don't need the incompetence of the ACC. I don't need the incompetence of the Big 12. I don't need the incompetence of the Big East standing in the way of what we're doing and what we're doing well. Yeah. And and that's what's happened. Every time we finish these, you and I always say the same thing: we don't we don't talk often enough. So, <laughs> yeah, not often enough. So, so we will we will change that in the new year. How about that? Absolutely. Enjoy the Rose Bowl. Hopefully, uh, I'm back on the second, so hopefully we'll cross paths. Hopefully, and we will got, cross paths. We've got the CFP coming into town. So, yep, exactly, because it's at SoFi this year. So, that's right, Tony. Thank you to you and that beautiful family of yours. Happy holidays. You too. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you too, my friend. We will talk shortly. All right, brother.